Today, we will be uh, looking at the book of Mark and uh, preaching out of uh, Mark chapter 10. We're going to do verses 35 through 45. But before we read the word, let us bow our heads and let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you. We thank you that you are here with us, Lord, that when we pray, it doesn't just go out into an empty room, but you hear it, Lord. You let us be here with you. You gave us a way to be reconciled with you. You gave us a way to learn who you are, Lord. Sin separates us from you, and you don't stop coming back for us, for giving us solutions to how we meet you, to how we know you, and how we can be forgiven, Lord. Help us hear your message today, Lord. Help us hear your word today, Lord. Let it work into our ears, into our hearts, into our mind, into our lives, and how we interact with everyone around us. Let us continue to grow. Let us continue to love you. Let us continue to worship you. And let us continue to read your word day in and day out. We pray for all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him, him being Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said, Grant us to sit one on your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or baptize with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but is for those with whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the word of our Lord. You never know until you ask, right? If you don't ask Jesus if you could be his right hand, then he's not going to say yes. You can't be told no unless you ask. What's it hurt to ask? I think that's what, uh, what James and John were kind of thinking of as they approached Jesus here, you know? They had heard some of what he was saying. As, uh, as you know, the, the book of Mark is not a particularly long book. It only goes to 16 chapters. So this is the, near the end of Jesus' ministry. Jesus has prophesied for them. They know something's happening. They think he's the Messiah. So they say, like, let's get our in now. Let's kind of put our, our names in the hat to be the right and left hand of Jesus. We won't even tell him which one of us should be the right and left. We'll let him make that decision himself. So they go to him and say, Jesus, let us be your right and left hand. But I don't think the question went how they, how they anticipated 
But what I want to bring up to you is not the issue of the question, but really what the heart of the question was. What were James and John trying to accomplish with this question? Because I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing for us us to want to be closer to God, to be closer to Jesus, to be the right hand of God, because that means you are doing God's work. And I don't think you could argue that James and John weren't doing God's work. They wrote books in the Bible with which we read. Some of our doctrine based on some of their writing. And, and so I don't think that was necessarily a bad thing. It was their heart. If you notice, the other ten disciples got upset with them over asking Jesus this question. I think it's easy to see that James and John didn't talk to all the other disciples and said, okay, here's the hierarchy. We're going to ask Jesus this. What do you guys think? Is that okay? No, no. They said, hey, before any of these other 10 guys get the courage to do it, let's go to Jesus ourselves and see if we can be the right and left hand of God. They went behind the back of the other disciples. They didn't talk to them because they were kind of surprised and upset by the question. So it's easy for us to see that, that they were not known to to this situation. And so James and John go to Jesus and they say, hey, can we be this? Can can I have this role? Right? Sometimes my kids come up to me and we get a new toy and they say, can I play with it first? Or it's my turn, it's my turn. And their turn, they want to be a never-ending turn. And I think the Bible references the faith of children and how children act because if we were honest, we all act like children more often than we'd like to admit. It's just that when we're older, we can enforce our own selfish desires where they still have to continue to ask for it. Where when we go to the grocery store and my kids want to buy candy, I say, no, you've already had too much sugar today. But if I want to buy candy, I can buy that candy. The credit card has my name on it. The issue with the question that John and James presented was that it was in a way reflecting society. Jesus brings it up that looking at the rulers of the Gentiles that lord it over the other people. How can I lift myself up? How can I make myself greater? I want to aspire to greatness. Is that such a bad thing to aspire to greatness? But to aspire to greatness in our society means elevating yourself above others. It means to be above somebody else. It means to have other people who aren't quite as good as you, right? Like, I don't think we'd all watch sports if all the games ended in a tie, right? Like, Todd wouldn't wouldn't watch the Pittsburgh Steelers if their aim was to tie every game. He wants them to be great. He wants them to win. He wants to see them win a Super Bowl. It's ingrained in us, this idea to, to, to be better. But when you try to self-elevate, when you have this competition built in. And I think, especially in the Western world, we see competition as a good thing, right? Competition breeds new ideas, it breeds growth, it breeds all sorts of great things that we see in in society, at least that we feel. But with Jesus, the idea of getting closer to Jesus for the sake of elevating yourself is counterintuitive. See, everyone wants to be great in some way or another. But for Jesus, how do we do that? So I've told you, I don't think it's wrong to ask to be the right hand of God, in some ways, if your heart's in the right place. 
So how do you be the right hand of God? How do you aspire to greatness in Christianity? The words that are used here that Jesus brings up for slave and servant are dolos and diakonos, which diakonos is actually where we get our word for deacons from, to serve, and dolos literally means slave. Jesus talks in circles sometimes saying the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And to be great, you have to serve and be a slave, which is counterintuitive to how we want to live our lives. But Jesus tells them this. God doesn't see greatness the way that you do. If you want to be great, reflect Jesus. Live like Jesus. You know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't go lording himself over others. He got down and helped the people who were at the bottom. He washed the feet of the disciples. He served the community around him, the people who needed it most. The church is the body of Christ. And if you aren't in the trenches, you're not being the church as you are called to be. Christianity is not a spectator sport where you can just like ask for the box seats and see God do all the work on the field. You are supposed to be on the field right there arm in arm with those who believe with you, with those who are filled with the faith, with those who said, I believe in you, Jesus Christ, and I want to live for you. I want to live for more. But that means you have to go out and do. It means you have to sometimes be uncomfortable. We are uncomfortable with the idea of, of, of slavery, rightfully so, because of the history of our country and how we understand slavery. It's like, ooh, that's not okay. Everybody should be free and everybody should be their own thing. But once you become a Christian, you give up some of that freedom to serve a greater purpose, to serve a greater God, to serve your brothers and sisters and not just the ones who already know God. I was reading this book recently about, about churches and, and there was this hard truth that was written in there in that uh, he said, there's a lot of churches that don't love the lost. If somebody's already a Christian, if somebody already believes, if somebody says, I'm broken, but I believe that God saved me from my sins, and now I dress and look like you because I live in the same area code that you do, then it's like, yes, welcome, come to our church. But if somebody comes into the church and they say, I'm struggling, I don't know who this God guy is, I don't know if I believe him, I don't know if that's true. I might be an atheist. I'm not sure. Then it's like, ooh, I'm not sure if we're a church for you. The church has to be there for the community. The church has to be there for the lost. The church has to be there for those who need it the most. And that's how we become the right hand of God. That's how we are not only self-proclaimed the body of Christ, but we are the living, active body of Christ working with our brothers and sisters out in the real world. But that means that sometimes you have to be uncomfortable. That means that sometimes you can't make choices for the church based on your preferences, but on what is going to grow the kingdom of God. It means that when you are sitting at one of the congregational meetings and you have a vote or you're sitting at session or with the deacons, you can't just say, what makes the most people in here the most comfortable? Because that's not what we're called to do. You have to say, how can we spread the good news of Jesus Christ for everybody to hear it? 
I'm lucky. I'm lucky because I know that this church can be that church. Because you did it with me. I've been at this church for 27 years. Shortly after uh, coming to this church, my parents have purchased a restaurant and they were working seven days a week. And for some reason, God told fifth grade me to say, hey, you should keep on going to church. And so my mom, who wouldn't let me, my mom who I love and is here, uh, my mom was extremely protective as a parent. Like if I wanted to sleep over a friend's house, she was like, no. If I, like, like it, it didn't matter. Like she was extremely protective because she loved me so much. But then somehow I told her, hey, mom, will you drop me off at church on Sunday mornings? And she said, yeah, okay. So on their way to the restaurant, she dropped me off at church. We lived about five miles from here. And then people like Barbara and Donnie Stroud would take me out to lunch afterwards and give me a ride home, or the Gibsons or the Lambs or countless others would give me a ride home. Kathy McGee got me to sing in the choir because she told me I was going to sing in the choir. She actually told my mom. She heard me sing one day, then she went to my mom and said, hey, your son's in the kids' choir now. It's on Wednesdays at 3.30. (laughs) This church supported me when I was in middle school helping to pay for youth trips and things that I needed to go on. This church helped me grow. This church taught me the Bible. This church was with me through and through when I needed to go to seminary and finally fought the call for long enough and went to seminary and said, fine, I'm going to seminary. And I told God I will take one class a semester. And God laughed. (laughs) And then the seminary said, hey, are you interested in a scholarship for full tuition? But you have to finish seminary in three years. And I said, okay, tell me more. And they said, you just have to find somebody to partner with you. And the church partnered, and you helped pay my way through seminary. I don't know how many of you guys realize this, but this church has had a huge impact on my life. In a time where my parents worked seven days a week just to pay the rent, you guys stepped up and became my family. I'm first-generation American. I don't have grandparents here in the States. I don't have a lot of cousins or uncles and aunts. You guys are my family. You guys helped teach me. You guys helped me grow. You guys accepted me for where I was. You guys gave me an opportunity to preach here. The first time I preached here was when I was in high school. I want to challenge you guys now. To see that a product of this church is going to go be a senior pastor in another church, and that's not like, ooh, hooray, go Danny. Let's do it again. Let's meet our community. This, this community has changed so much over the 27 years that I've been here. And this church has changed some, but maybe it needs to change some more. And maybe if that makes you uncomfortable, maybe if you're uncomfortable, is coming in and filling in some of the spots that need to be filled now with some of the changes that are happening, maybe that's where you find uncomfortable, where you step in, where God has been calling you for years and you fought it for years, maybe now is the time to step in. Maybe now is the time to say, God, okay, I'm ready to serve. God, I'm ready to be the body of Christ. God, I am ready to be your right hand. And I'm asking you of this because it never hurts to ask.
couple weeks ago, we were at CrossFit, and, uh, and we read out of Mark, and we read out of Luke, and there was the woman who was crying at Jesus' feet, washing her hair with, with or washing his feet with her hair and her tears, and the alabaster jar and, and, the, and the oil in there, and wasting all this good money that could have been used for something else, and crying at his feet. And, and as I was studying that passage, and we were talking about repentance, I couldn't help but wonder, I wonder if she knew that thousands of years later, we'd still be talking about the impact that she's had. As she threw herself at the feet of Jesus, giving herself up to him fully, if she knew that thousands of years later we'd be telling her story and that she would be bringing people to tears so many years later as we learn how we need to repent, as we learn how we need to fall at the foot of the cross. This church has had an impact not only on my life, but on many lives out there. And it can continue to do so. We have to stick in the trenches. We have to live for more than just ourselves. Verse 45 says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. When we think of a ransom, we think of somebody in danger here and now, and saving them from the imminent danger that they're in. But what Jesus is talking about here is a ransom that's so much bigger with eternal implications. I'm asking you to be uncomfortable for the speck of time that we're here on earth. And maybe if you're uncomfortable for that speck of time, you can be a ransom for many. You can be the Jesus that people see and the Jesus that people know. You can have an impact that reaches far beyond whatever you could have imagined. With your next interaction with your coworkers, with your next interaction with your fellow Christians, with your next interaction on social media, with your next interaction with your loved ones at a family gathering, think about what Jesus would do if he was sitting where you are. How you should talk to people. How you should approach people and how you should listen to where people are and serve those who need serving the most and continue to do the good that you have always done. I'm asking a lot of you. But it's what you're called to do. And all God's people said, 